Hello and welcome to Lady Time. I am your host today, Carol Fitzpatrick, and my guest is Deborah Ann Davis. Deborah Ann Davis is a parenting coach, a life coach, an author, former teacher, and a mother. Her job is to help us recognize what we're doing right as a parent and then add some supplemental strategies. She's the author of How to Keep Your Daughter from Slamming the Door and How to Get Your Happy On. Deborah also writes a monthly newsletter called Merry Meddling. And if anyone is interested, you can sign up for free by email, emailing her at info at DebraAnnDavis.com. Deborah, you're very welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. I absolutely loved your book, How to Keep Your Daughter from Slamming the Door. But before we go to talk about that, can you tell me your experience, uh, how you experienced midlife so far? Well, I enjoyed it great. Um, I had this funny situation happen to me that I was watching a TV show and the um, character in the TV show was being reflective and saying, I thought when I hit middle age that it would feel differently. And I was stunned because the character was obviously younger than I was. Oh. And so I ran to the dictionary and I looked up middle age and I found out I had been middle aged for three years. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't even know I had gotten there yet. Then the oh, funny yes. thing was when I left middle age, the same thing happened. I did not know that I was technically considered elderly for three years until after I was into it. So <laughs> Well, that's not true. You're definitely still in middle age. I think the brackets have moved. <laughs> oh, yeah, I hope so, because I look around at people who, who I think are older than me, and I, I'm pretty sure they're not. So, yeah. Well, you look amazing. I know <laughs> our listeners can't see you right now, but you look incredible. Thank you. Mm. I'm a happy person. Yeah, that helps, doesn't it? Oh, it makes such a huge difference. If, if you're living your life in a happy way, then yeah, it makes a huge difference. And middle age has been fine for me. Uh, there's a lot of difficult things that happen during that period of time. But since I have a strong foundation and I work at it hard, um, middle age has not been a big deal for me. Plus, I, I do have the added advantage of looking younger than I do, but I also attribute that to being happy. So. Yeah. Um, so you retired in middle age. I you were a teacher. Teaching. Mm -hmm. I yeah. left teaching because I thought, oh, I'm going to be an author. Mm. <laughs> I spent, I didn't write one single word the year I stopped teaching because I had it in my head that now I had two books, I need to publish them and then I needed to market them. And so I ended up doing all that side of it, which I don't like doing, but it's a, like the necessary evil there in terms of getting your name out there. But um, I actually didn't put pen to paper one single time that whole first year. So oh, it was kind of relief when I got to write again. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? You had two two books, you had two novels. Mm -hmm. They're fairly safe and fairly certain. Yes. Yes. Numerous suspense with a surprise ending. Oh, brilliant. And <laughs> um, so you had those two ready and, um, and then you spent the year marketing. Yeah, marketing is is a funny one, isn't it? Selling yourself. Oh. 
Yes, it it's is. It's a whole new skill set that we all need these days. And mm-hmm. uh, it's, yeah, it's tough. <laughs> um, but your other book, the one that I read, How to Get Your Daughter from Slamming the Door, um, mm-hmm. is a very practical and quite a in-depth book. You know, it's got a lot of exercises. It's got a lot of your experience as a teacher and your experience as a mom. Um, and and I found that the exercises, although they were quite simple, they were quite deep and um, I really liked them. And I was, I have a daughter and I'm sure most uh, of our listeners who do have children, not everyone has children, of course, but any of our listeners who do have children might have experienced uh, this tween and teenage when your daughter is getting more independent or trying to exercise independence and push away. And mm-hmm. it's quite a shock to the system when 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 they start doing that. And I know I was quite shocked because my gorgeous, lovely girl turned into quite a feisty, gorgeous girl. <laughs> yeah, you, and, you know and that. I was, you know, we were quite close and then I became enemy number one. Um, but luckily I had uh, sister-in-laws who were older who had been through it and were like, don't worry, she'll be back. Don't worry, it's all part of the process. Yes. But I found reading your book, I found it really practical and really helpful with a whole range of issues that come up at this time with the relationship, with, you know, things like going to a dance or a disco, whatever, the socializing, how to mm-hmm. help your daughter with uh, difficult situations. We say if they're offered alcohol or drugs when they're too young and how to make that an more easy say easier, but an easier a way to say no rather than just telling your daughter you have to say no you have to equip them with things to say or funny yes. retorts or you know I just thought that was brilliant really yes. really really helpful and also to say to them well for <laughs> for me I was you know neck deep in high school for decades so I would say to my daughter this is what's going to happen and she'd say no that's your school that's not my school but she'd come back saying, okay, yeah, it, it did happen. And then she stopped arguing with me about whether or not stuff was going to happen because we would have the conversation. So let's just pretend. What, what would you do in this situation? She'd go, oh, mom, I would do blah, blah, blah. So even though I was getting attitude, mostly because I was talking about something that was making her uncomfortable. Mm. Not because I was talking to her. Yes. She liked the fact that I was basically putting, pushing her into a corner where she'd have to say, what would you do? So then she had something that she could do in that situation. Plus you, plus for people who weren't able to do dances and things like that at a younger age because of COVID, now they're going at it in an age where I approve of more when they're older because um, they're more mature. They have better coping skills. But when my daughter school was first talking about having dances, you know, me, the, (laughs) the, I wasn't a helicopter mom, but I was, um, I was like a lighthouse mom. The light would come around. I'd be, okay, what's going now? Okay. What's going on? Right. So when they were talking about dances, they were, her school was set up so that it was um, fifth grade through ninth grade was allowed to go to this dance. 
that's a huge age range. So I said to them, do you have parent chaperones? And they said to me, the principal said to me, well, we don't want parents there because we don't want the kids to feel inhibited. And I was going, I want my fifth grade daughter to feel inhibited. Yes, yes, I do want that around ninth grade boys. So I wouldn't let her go to the dance. And she was so upset. She said all those superlatives, like, I'm the only kid who can't go and you're, the, you're ruining my life, and, you know, on and on and on. But come Monday morning, when everybody was talking about the dance, she came home Monday after school and said to me, you know what they did? And there were all these instances where the bigger boys were teasing the younger kids who were dancing together. Like if it was a slow dance and they were, the kids had their arms around each other, but they were apart from each other, right? The big boys would come along and push their bodies together. And so there were kids who spent the entire dance in the bathroom crying because they were embarrassed. and, And so she, then when the next dance came, And I said, no, you can't go because it was the same year. We went through the whole thing, right? And I didn't let her go until the eighth grade, which she would be the second to the oldest group in there, right? So that year I said to her, yeah, you you can go to the dance this year. She's like, "Uh, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) They they act stupid there. I don't want to go. Yeah, she didn't. She, it wasn't stuff I told her. It was what the other kids told her. And she was like, nah, not yeah. going to be part of that. Yeah. So I think that was a really wise decision. I think my daughter's going to her first uh, disco, but I think it's just her year. It's just, I mean, we have a different schooling system here in Ireland. She was in a really uh, small school. That's why they had the white, wide range. Okay. It was a really yeah. small school. Um, so, yeah, Usually I think it's, it's like seven one age. Yeah. Well, that's good. That was really great. Um, and also, I like the way, you know, you're not into this perfect mom idea. You're into awesome moms. And, you're, yeah. you know, you, you wrote out a couple of examples where you didn't get it right. And that was good to see because you're a teacher and we'd expect, oh, teachers have everything perfect. <laughs> no, no, no yeah. I, I like to say that I'm not a perfect mom. And I'll be the first to say that. And my daughter will be the second one to say that, that I'm not a perfect (laughs) mom. But, you know, perfectionism is like your main road towards anxiety. I mean, if you want to get anxious, head for perfect. And if you are modeling that in front of your kids, then you're telling them they have to be perfect. And that is so damaging because to a little child who's not going to, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say little child because I'm thinking 14, 15 year olds when I say little child, but for, for okay. 14 or 15 year old or, or younger or older, if the goal is to be perfect, then what does it mean if you don't reach perfection? Does that mean that your parents don't hold you in as high regard? Does that mean your love is, the love from them is conditional and that you have to earn it and not knowing the answer to that. And they're certainly not going to ask you. So they're all in their heads about that. So not knowing the answer to that creates anxiety and worry and concern. And am I worthy? And, and, you know, even though I got good grades in that class, I don't know how I got those good grades. So what if they figure out that I don't know what I'm doing? And, you know, it's like this imposter syndrome that everyone talks about. 
yes. kids have it. You know, they don't yeah. think most kids don't know how they got their grade. They, they think That's it's true. by the grace of the teacher. They, they don't know. They can't tell. I, I believe all kids can't tell why they got an A instead of an A minus or why they got an A instead of an A plus. They can tell why they got an A instead of a D. But all these little things, why do you get a B plus instead of an A minus? They don't know how that is. For them, it's like a crapshoot. They don't know what they're going to get on the report card. So when the report yeah. card comes out, they're scared because that represents this huge possibility that their parents are going to be disappointed in them. And that is never going to be fixed or rectified. So that means that parents will love them less. I mean, this is all what goes on in kids' heads. And I was in a parent-student parent conference with a, a child whose grades were dropping. And um, she was all being sullen and sitting back with her arms crossed and, and looking to the side instead of looking at either of us and um, the mother and I. And the mother was saying, you know, she's not doing her homework. She's not doing this. And, and, the, and the girl's getting more and more angry as the mother was listing the things the things she wasn't doing. And then the mother started well up, her eyes welled up with tears. And the daughter went, oh, mom, seriously. And she was all embarrassed. So I said to the daughter, do you know why she's crying? She goes, because she's so mad. She can't hold it in. I said, no, she's crying because she's scared. And the mother's like nodding really hard and going, yes, as she's blowing into a tissue. And the girl was shocked. And I said, your mother is scared that if she can't figure out how to connect with you, that your life isn't going to be good. And you're not going to be able to do what it is that you want. And she's not going to be able to help you through school. So you'll be able to look back on it and feel proud. And wow. The, and the girl was so shocked and the mother's like, yes, that's what it is. And, and the girl actually got up and went around and hugged her mom, got up and walked around the table and hugged her mom. Wow. So that's incredible. What a great teacher. Thank you. I, I'd say you were a therapist as well as a teacher. <laughs> well, the thing is that um, I, I understand about. I have this great soapbox I get on called about learning styles that different people learn different ways. And the majority of people are visual learners, which I am, which is why I was successful in school. And so I teach in a way that accommodates visual learners because that's what makes sense to me. But when I learned about learning styles, then I understood about auditory learners and kinesthetic learners. So auditory learners process stuff by the sound of it. And that's how they retain things. And that's how they study and learn. And I cannot learn anything in the air. I can't do di di uh, directions in the air. I can't do numbers in the air. I can't do anything. I can't do it in the air. I have to close my eyes and picture it. I cannot do it. And like when my husband's talking to me something about the way his body is structured, when he has his elbows on the table, his hands go in front of his mouth when he's gesturing. I can't hear what he's saying. Even if there's like three feet between us, if his hands aren't covering his mouth, I hear it just fine, which I cannot biologically explain that to you. But I do know it has to do with how I process information. 
And then kinesthetic learners, who you're saying you need to sit and listen, they can sit and listen, but unless they're doing something like diagramming what's going on or doodling, doodling in the margin or um, tapping some kind of rhythm while they're listening to something, they're not going to retain that information, but they're really good at like art classes and, and music classes and shop and sports and home ec and anything where you're creating with your hands. And ironically, the world loves kinesthetic people. There are IT people and our sculptors and, and the, there are elite athletes and everybody we put on pedestals. Those are the kinesthetic people, but the school wants them to sit still. So well, I used to like doodling when I was listening. So I presume I'm a little bit of both uh, auditory and kinesthetic. Everybody has a combination. Yeah. But see, yeah. the thing is, when you have a child who doesn't match the teacher's learning style, mm. they may be struggling in a class and they don't need to be struggling in the class. They're just not retaining the information in a way that makes sense to them. And so there's so many ways that you can get around that. And I put some of that into the book ways. Like if you have a kinesthetic learner and an auditory teacher. So like for me as a visual, visual person in college, we had these big, huge auditoriums, right. And that yes. was the size of an ant at the bottom of the, in front of the podium or back of the podium. Right. I didn't do well in any of those classes because I couldn't see their face. I couldn't see their expression. And again, I can't biologically explain to you why that matters, but it does. Mm -hmm. So, you know. Yeah, I guess we use our different senses to, to, to learn. Um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And but as a um, science teacher, I taught labs. So I had the um, kinesthetic kids kinesthetic. in the palm of my hand. And for the auditory kids, we read the directions aloud to everything. So I, I managed to grab them all in, but it was cause I knew I had to do stuff for them so that they could excel. Amazing. And tell me about your students. Did you have like, did, what was the school like that you taught in? I taught in lots of schools. Okay. I taught in um, inner city schools. I taught in schools that were all white. I taught in schools that were all black. I taught in um, the Northern part of the United States and the Southern part of the United States. And I was in rural areas and inner city areas. So I pretty much taught them all. The whole gamut of schools yep. in America. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> wow. So not, that would not give on you... the West Coast though. I've never been out on the West Coast. Okay. But that would give you quite an understanding of well, one, that we're all very similar. Yeah. And two, <laughs> to how, you know, people, yeah, children come from different backgrounds that might in, in, impact on how they learn and, you know, what they bring in with them to school, the baggage they bring into school. I'd say it's fascinating. Yeah. You, when you're, when the kids are coming in the door, you have to watch so you can see who's coming in the door because yes. This group is different than who came in the door yesterday because different things happen to them and, and their emotions are different. And you can tell by the way they put their bag down and the way they 
the way they interact with other people and do they sit and, and stare off to the side or do they engage with other kids? I mean, you can see right in front of you who's going to handle it and who's not going to handle it that day. Oh, your heartstrings must have been pulled all the time. <laughs> well, the thing was, I was assessing them as they came in because I wanted them all up here front and center. So if somebody was like onto the side and, and looking sadder, I was like, hi, how you doing? I love your jacket. Or, you know, I, I was like reeling them right in. I, I brought them all right in as close to me as I could emotionally so that they would be all right with going forward. I had the funniest situation happen one time. I had this class. It was the last class of the day. And um, for whatever happened with the scheduling, out of 22 students, 18 of them were special education students. So they had, um, I, I don't know if you use that same phrase in Ireland, but they- well, Pretty similar. Okay. So um, they were a great class, but I knew who I had. So I, when they came in, first of all, it was the last class of the day and it was two classes after lunch. So if you guys have fast food lunches like we have here, this is around the time where everyone crashes after that junk food that they just ate in the cafeteria. So um, that's what I had. I have a mixture of people who are hyper and people, people who are falling asleep. And I had one boy in there who had anger management issues. And he was on his first year, they were freshmen in high school, no sophomores. He was on, as a sophomore, he was on his first year of not having a paraprofessional come with him to every class because all the other years he had had to have somebody there to intervene if there was a problem. He had difficulty shifting gears. So if we were taking notes and saying, okay, we're going to stop, I'm going to do an activity. He had a hard time with that. That was just what would set him off. And, and he was a lovely kid. Loved this kid. He was adorable. I, this, this is that word. Okay. But anyway, you'll see what I'm going to say in a second. On this one day, I always try to break my classes into thirds. So we do one activity and another activity and another activity. And so on this one day, we, they were doing stuff out of their book. And I told them, you'll have this much time. And when that finishes, then you're going to go to the second activity and you can finish this stuff for homework. Well, he went and put his book away. And I said, put your book away. It's time to start the next activity. And the kid he was supposed to be working with was going, put your book away. So this kid blew up. Blah, blah, blah. I know, it. you know, veins popping out the whole nine yards. And I said, I said the boy's name. I'll just say Bob for now. But I said, Bob, you do what I say because I'm the teacher and I'm bigger than you and I'm scary, which I'm like five foot and he's bigger <laughs> than me. And he blinked at me a couple of times and he goes, no you're not scary. You're adorable. So this is a sophomore boy calling me adorable. <laughs> I said, I'm not adorable. I'm scary. And the kid in the front row says, no, no, you're adorable. And the one next to him says, yeah, you're adorable. And the one next to my original <laughs> student says, yep, you're adorable. So I had this group of sophomore boys going, yep, yep, you're adorable. I was like, <laughs> and then he was diffused. That was it. We, he switched over to the next thing without that any is. problem. And such a good story. That's amazing. Well, I can see another book in you. <laughs> top of these four books. And I know you're doing other projects. <laughs> how to teach teachers or how to get teachers engaged, because you definitely have a lot of skills and experience in that 
It's lovely. It's really nice. Um, what would be uh, one of your greatest achievements, Deborah Ann? I feel like I have so many. I mean, the biggest one, <laughs> it's going to sound so cliche, but um, my daughter. Yeah. I look back on the first 10 years of her life that I wasted being worried when I didn't yeah. have to be. And I, I regret that I could have enjoyed that more. If someone had just said to me, could you just look at the job you're doing? Your daughter is fantastic. And then I wouldn't have been so worried about it. By the time she hit middle school, I was like, yes, middle school. That's what I teach. I know what to do now. um, But those first 10 years, I was nervous and I didn't have to be. So that's part of what I'm doing now is trying to help other people understand that you're doing fine. You're doing way better than you think you're doing. And my job, that's what I do as a parenting coach. My job is that I show you what you're good at already. And then we add some stuff to it. You know, it's not about, oh, I got this problem to fix. Everybody's got problems. Let's let's focus on what you're doing right and do it some more. <laughs> great. Yes, that's great. It's really good. To, and to review what you're doing and to, to see all the good things you're doing and not focus on what you're doing wrong or what you might do wrong or what might happen. Um, how do you coach? Do you coach in a group or do you coach one-to-one or both? I do both. The um, What I do with the, the group coaching is... Um, each, each half a year, I put it, I open it up and I try to do it based on how old your kids are. So if a person, I have a group for high school parents and a group for middle school parents and a group for littles parents. And then um, they're with people who have similar situations. It's not pure because sometimes people aren't available during their own group. But it doesn't really matter because if I get a person who's who has high school kids and they're in a group with the, the parents with littles, they were already there. They already know what it is. And for them to be able to say to the other moms, the younger, the, I should say the less experienced moms, um, I went through that. You're going to be fine. Yeah. It kind of echoes in your head. What I'm going through now other people have gone through this and I'm going to be fine. So it all works out. Absolutely. Yes. Um, yeah, that's great. That's brilliant. And so you open up a group every six months or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And um, what, Deborah Ann, would be your one of your greatest challenges in life? Following my own advice. <laughs> <laughs> the um i'd say that the the um not letting go of arbitrary deadlines and goals i set for myself so for example this course that i'm filming in three weeks i originally was planning to, <laughs> on filming it past this past april because I had never done a course before. So I thought, oh, it should take, you know, started in January. Oh, it should take me this long to write it and, and, and block it out and all that stuff. I hadn't done it before. So why in the world would I have an accurate 
an accurate read of how long it would take. So I sheepishly switched it up to August. And then August, it wasn't happening. And I understand that I was working on this steadily. Right. And then I said, okay, I'm going to, I need to switch this up to September. But in a, a, um, a moment of brilliance, I said, don't do the next month, do later. So it was October and we were supposed to do it last week. And I said, it, it still needs some tweaking. So now it's for November and it's done. It's basically done. So I'm very happy with that. But I, I spent a ridiculous amount of time self-chastising and saying, oh, you sh should have gotten this done. And I have to remind myself, why, what, what is with that word should? You have not done this before. You don't know how long it takes to do any of this. So what's with this word should? It's like what we do as moms where we said, my child should be walking by this time because other people are, or my child should be talking by this time, or my child should be getting um, a grasp of sports or whatever. No, we all progress along our own timeline and, and the way we process things contributes to that. And what else is going on in our lives contributes to that. So I had to say, Deborah, you need to follow your own advice and cut yourself some slack. We, you should not be doing anything that makes you turn your voice inward and say, oh, you didn't do what you were supposed to. No, 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 no. That is not what we should be doing as women, as parents, as professionals, and we definitely don't want to be modeling that for our kids because we don't want them going, oh, I'm stupid. I shouldn't have done this. Or, you know, we want them to say, well, I have learned that it, I cannot write a course in four months. Not that I should have gotten it written in my, no, uh-uh. I have learned what the reality is based on this experience. Now I know. Um, and what is this course going to be? Say, I'm sorry? What is this course in November going to be? Oh, the title of it is called The Ultimate Parent Toolkit, Connecting with Your Kids in a Disconnected World. Wow. So it's going to have um, seven modules, and it is going to have, they're all broken up into smaller sections, and the sections are are things like um, start from where you're at. Um, there's one about self-care called when you ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Mm -hmm. And there's a one that's called you can talk to teens, even the snarky ones. So that one's all about ways to introduce conversations and stuff. So it's got a lot of information. And then there's stuff on learning styles in there too, because I pretty much put learning styles in everything because nobody appreciates how significant it is and and it's it's the way we interface with the world so absolutely and that gives people a real gift because it's it's giving them a skill to know what it is how how it's a self-awareness skill really isn't it it is definitely a pretty big one um and wow, parents, so that's great a lot of time focusing on the kids and forgetting to pay attention to ourselves yes 
And and I know in the book, uh, how to get your daughter from slamming the door. I'm sure I've said that. How to keep your daughter from slamming the door. Um, there's there's a, at least one chapter on self care and self love as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's so important for whatever you're doing in life. And it's 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 a word that it's a term that we're using a lot, but actually giving people practical advice on what that means. And how to do it every single day, I think, is the key to actually to massive change in the world. I agree. And the fact is that you have to do it just a little bit at a time. Yeah. Here's the other thing. So if you want to add a little self-care into your life, your life is fine without it. Right. And now you're trying to insert something in there. So you're kind of crowding what's already there. And in order to make that part of your habit, you have to go about the business of making a habit. So you have to put up reminders so you remember to to take a bath for yourself once a week or put it on your calendar or something in a way that will help you do it. But here's the thing. If you start it and then it drops by the wayside, like New Year's resolutions and stuff, you can pick it up and again in a month or two months and you've already laid the groundwork. And it's not like starting from scratch when you resume because you're resuming. It builds on what you've already done. So for everybody listening out there, if there's something that you said, I'm going to do this and you let it go, why don't you just pick it up and start it again today? Just just do it for today. You don't, Not for the rest of your life, just for today. And then you will be building on what you did before. And then tomorrow, you could do it for tomorrow. But for right now, just do it for today. Something that you let go that you wish you hadn't and just do it for today. Great advice. Great advice. Because sometimes implementing a a, a ritual or a regime can feel like a big thing. But actually just doing it today is just today. It's just here and now. I love what you're saying about scheduling as well uh, or setting an alarm or putting, you know, putting it in your diary or on your calendar because we all... um, there's lots of things that we say we'll do and we don't do. But if there's a reminder, if you've put it in as important as like a business meeting, and that's it's a good for relationships too, isn't it? Like yes. things that we used to do when we first met or, you know, mm-hmm. um, go by the wayside, you know, if you're married for a while. And then it's good to to remind yourself, okay, I can schedule in a date I can schedule in a movie or you know whatever whatever there's this little transition period where you're thinking well I shouldn't have to put it on the calendar it should be romantic no yes you now have more responsibilities than you did when you first got together and you're 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 advancing your job you've advanced in your age you advance in your children right you're not in the same place you were before so you have to claim that that time and do those reminders you really do it's life is so busy in midlife I think and not in a bad way but just you've got things you want to do and it's got the kids and you've got the dinners and the Mm -hmm. the work and all the different aspects of life whereas when you first meet your partner you're probably pretty fancy free and (laughs) you've got work and maybe yeah, very few, very few responsibilities. So yeah, so like that in life and, and then the self-care as well to put to schedule in your bath. Imagine. It's a good <laughs> idea. 
Wednesday nights, that's my bath. And Thursday. Yeah. Um, great. Uh, I love that. And um, so tell me now about your other book. Oh, get your happy on. How to get you happy on. That's how um, to get you happy on. It's my um, response to the worst year of our lives, which was 2019. Everybody else had their worst year in 2020, but for ours, us, it was 2019. My husband lost the use of his arm and he was in extreme pain and going to all different kinds of um, therapies, like different kinds of doctors and chiropractors and, and massage and, and cortisone shot. I mean, nothing would do it. And he would walk around cradling his arm and going, oh, oh. and he is not a person who complains or he's never down. He's always strong and energetic, you know? So it was very scary because he, you know, he couldn't do, he couldn't work. So we basically were without his salary from, um, November of 2018, all the way until he finally got his surgery. So um, he ended up having to have three discs replaced in his neck. And in the United States, see, we have a different healthcare system than you do, right? So, yes. so they said that um, they would only do two discs at a time. That's all it was approved, which meant we were going to have to have two operations. And the operation would cost $65,000 and our insurance didn't cover it. So we, surprise, surprise, we don't have $65,000 in the bank. And um, we had to have the surgery. So my husband said, well, if we have to pay for it, then I'm going to find the best doctor. So he ended up finding a doctor who trained the American doctors in this surgery in Germany. So we ended up going to Germany for the surgery. Now, we were on the phone with my daughter who was living on the other side of the country. And we were talking to her about this surgery and we don't know how we're going to get the money, but we, you know, we wanted to talk to you and everything. So I could hear her typing while we're talking, you know, and, and she's going, well, you know, there's ways to raise money and you can do this and that. Da, da, da. And there's this thing called GoFundMe and da, da, da there, I just made you an account. So she set up a GoFundMe account for us. And we reached out to everybody we knew and anybody we'd ever helped. And we were able to raise $30,000 in two months. Wow. Because, and we're talking about $25 trickling in here and there. It was all people who knew us, but it was because We've been out in the community, both my husband and myself and my daughter, and we've all reached out to everybody we knew and all these people that we've helped over the years said, you know, here, let me give back. It was the most humbling, incredible situation we'd ever gone through. I mean, we're still working to get out from under those bills, right? Sure. But um, we had enough money to do the upfront costs. So the $65,000 here in the States was going to give us two discs and one night in the hospital. The operation in Germany, the whole thing was like $10,000 cheaper. And they gave us eight nights in the hospital and six nights in a rehab center. They put me up 
and they fed both of us through the whole thing. They gave us all the transportation to the airport and to the doctor's appointments and everything. And at one point we were in the doctor's office and he, he was looking at me, my circles under my eyes. He goes, you know, I'm going to schedule a massage for you. <laughs> I, I know Great. it was just lovely. It was the most incredible thing. And then we had a sister, my, my husband's sister works for the airline. So we were able to fly back and forth for 10% of the airline tickets. It, it was the most humbling thing. I told you all that. So I could tell you this, that's why I wrote this book, how to get your happy on because it, it was such an awful period in our lives. And I told you before, I work hard to keep my happy. And um, I thought, I'm all these people who reached out and did all this stuff, I'm gonna write this book. So I wrote this book and I gave everybody a copy of it. And then 2020 hit and I said, cause I was then gonna sell the book. I said, no, no, I'm just gonna leave it out there. So. It's for free on my website. Of course, my website is crashed on this particular day. So hopefully by the time this airs, it will be back up again. But it is free on my website. So if any of your listeners want it, it's called How to Get Your Happy On. It is not an inspirational book. It's a how-to book because you can physically generate the happy hormones like you know dopamine, all those serotonin. You can make those happen in your body even when you're not happy. You can make them happen. Like for example... Um, I actually put this in the, the how to keep your daughter from slamming the door book because it is so funny. Um, it's called the fake smile. When you smile, your muscles stimulate the nerves, the muscles in your face stimulate the nerves, which trigger messages that go to your brain, which release a whole bunch of um, hormones in your gut, the happy hormones. Wow. So it turns out that if you fake smile, your body can't tell the difference. Your brain can't tell the difference. And it shoots out those happy hormones anyway. So That's I just amazing. caution people, you got to tell people what you're doing. You can't just like suddenly grin at them in the middle of a fight because <laughs> they'll think <laughs> you're off your rocker. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very helpful. Yes, I did read that in the book. Um, that's great. So um, hormonal happiness really is yeah. how to get your happy on. Well, that's exactly. an amazing story. What an incredible community that you built up and it wasn't it great that they could give back to you. And that sounds great. The experience in Germany. It was lovely. The whole thing it, was lovely. It's incredible, isn't it? That you can travel <laughs> across the world and get top care and way beyond what you'd normally get mm-hmm. for less money. Yes. That's incredible, but still yeah. a lot of money, you know? Yeah. 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 It's medical care is very expensive. It's very expensive here too, but we do have insurance or we do have, it's not free. There's definitely, there's two systems. There's one free one and one private one. And the free one has massive waiting lists, um, but you know, it's not perfect. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a definitely work in progress, but it's not as steep in costs as it is in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people don't know here in the States, they, they don't know that there's another way to do it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, centric. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's incredible. Like, like I think in Europe, we just can't believe 
I mean, I don't know what it's like in Australia or New Zealand and places like that, but we just can't believe the cost. But we're getting a picture of it here as well because private care is expensive, but we do, we most people have, well, not most, I don't know what the percentages may be, 50-50, maybe 40-60, but a lot of people um, either have free medical care or private. Um, so uh, that's some journey. Yeah, it was quite a, it was quite a year. So, well, everybody else was suffering through 2020. I don't mean to sound cavalier, but I was reveling in relief. <laughs> yes, know? it was. It took a, a year of rehab for him to get back. Oh, and by the way, for that operation, they did all three discs. They didn't do just the two. Of course. Yeah. Yes, of course. So that's, that's such a great story. And how is he now? How's your husband he's now? Perfect. He's perfect. You know, I mean, we're both older and so we're slowing down naturally anyway, but he is, he's back to his normal self, his normal, energetic, happy self. So. Oh, that's great. You must be delighted. It must've been quite scary. It really was. Yeah. And, and also he couldn't eat cause he was in pain. He couldn't move around. So his, his body was getting thinner and and frail looking and and that was very strange to be seeing in my vibrant husband uh yeah i'm so glad he's made a recovery so deborah ann um you know uh, how to get your happy on would that help people in midlife who sometimes find it very the transitions and the changes very difficult or the hormonal imbalances uh quite difficult so some people can get quite depressed or resistant to change or you know there's there's often a time when people don't even realize it for a while and they're not happy would that book how to get your happy on help in those those situations do you think absolutely because it gives you a way to combat what's going on there's this old story they tell in science circles about a frog where you put him in a beaker of hot water and he'll jump out, right? But you put him in a beaker of cold water and you heat it up and he'll die in there because he won't notice the temperature rising around him. That's what our stressors in our lives are like, that they are increasing and increasing around us and we don't notice it because they're creeping up. And then all of a sudden we can't move because they're crowding us so much. And that's very distressing. So when you're in the throes of that, I mean, if you're like, I can't get off the couch and I I just don't have the energy to do something or some, you're dealing with a tragedy that has happened recently, then there are ways that you can generate your happy hormones without having to say, oh, I'm going to be cheerful today. They I I gave you that one little thing about the fake smile. So, I mean, you just keep grinning and grinning and grinning until the smile itself takes over. But I mean, you grin and stop and grin and stop, but there's other things that you can do. Um, I, I hate to jump on somebody else's bandwagon, but gratitude journals are all the rage right now. But here's the thing. It's about counting your blessings. And if you take a moment to look at what's good, not I should be feeling happy because all this good stuff's going on in my life. No, 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 no. Just take a minute to go through and look at what's good. That's it. That's all you have to do. 
it changes the chemistry in your body. And you don't have to do it until you feel the change. You could just look at one thing and it changes it. And even if that change is too slight for you to detect, doesn't mean it's not there. It is there physically. So you um, put something next to your bed and you write something good that has happened in your life. I mean, people say, oh, write something good that's happened today. I don't care. I don't care what it could be the first day your daughter smiled at you, whatever, or, or the first time you caught a toad. I mean, it does not matter what it is for you, right? Yes. Write them. And those are the things that when you're feeling low, you just read through it until you're tired of reading through it. There's no should in there. You do it any way you want. And it's a resource for when you're feeling low. Another way. Thank you. Another way is to volunteer or to donate. That creates happy hormones in your body. Even even like um, they separate it like random acts of kindness, like they, that's a different category, but I'm sorry, there's a lot of overlap there. Even holding the door open for somebody makes a difference. I told you that I work really hard to keep my happy intact, right? I don't watch sad movies. I can't tell you how much grief I've been given by my family members over the, over the years about, but it's an excellent movie. I'm like, nope, don't do that. I, any movie I recommend, you know it has a happy ending. It's no question. So I only watch happy things. And I do that on purpose. I don't watch the news. I don't read the newspaper. All that stuff going on out there has been going on out there without my contribution. It's not like me reading the news or watching the news is going to change what anybody's doing. So go ahead. You guys do your thing. I'm going to do my thing and stay happy. And then the other thing is um, I do... I do this thing where I go to, I wait till they have sales at stores and then they sell these little throw blankets for like um, five bucks. So I'll get, you know, 10 of them and I'll stick them in the back of my car. And every now and then I'll see an unfortunate person on the side of the road with a sign looking for help. I give them a blanket and here it gets cold right now. We're heading into our, our cold season. So, um, that makes me feel good. That releases happy hormones in me. It does it for them, you know, and. Um, That's great. That's great. So they're very, again, very practical things that you can do, not take huge effort, although finding the sale might take an effort, but really once you get <laughs> I, just, I just have one store. When it comes up, I just go there, you know, like. Yeah. And you're right. Giving back to people or giving to people is such a good thing to do for happiness. And you know, what you said about the gratitude is so right because it just turns your mind to looking for good, looking for the good rather than looking for the bad. We can get into bad habits like that. And I totally agree. I Well, I, I don't know a thing about sad movies, but I definitely wouldn't intentionally watch a sad movie, but I really would not watch a scary movie. No way. Me neither. I don't, I don't do horror. <laughs> yeah. I like happy ones or, yeah, funny ones, funny mm-hmm. stories. Yeah. And the thing uh, is, all these things I'm talking about, you don't have to believe that it's true. Hmm. You don't have to believe in it. You, 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 don't, you, you don't have to buy into it to get the benefits from it. 
true. So you just do them and the, the, the benefits will come. And then you'll believe. <laughs> <laughs> and I agree totally about the news and uh, that that's, yeah, I stopped watching the news. I mean, occasionally I'll flick it on the radio, but very occasionally. And I'm not missing out. Like I hear the news anyway. I see it maybe if I flick through my social media. But yeah, listening to the doom and the fear daily is not good. It's not good for the soul. We have this thing over here. It's called breaking news. It's like you've been talking about this for 12 hours. It's not breaking anymore. You know, it's like, come on. You can do better than that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Deborah Ann, um, what are your visions and hopes for the future? I would like to be able to start doing the mother and daughter retreats again. I want to be, I would like to be able to do two a year and help them gain tools that they can use for reconnecting and that they can employ when things aren't going good and to teach them about each other and themselves so that they'll say, oh, that's what's going on instead of taking things personally. You know, I, 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 one of my favorite sayings is, when your teenager throws a tantrum, that's not something happening to you. That's something happening to them. Yeah, that's a really good reminder. Yeah, sometimes we get caught up in the drama. And why not? I mean, they're sending all this energy in your direction and you're getting hit with it like it's a bulldozer. You know, yeah. your, your kid's wearing her anger like it's her superpower and, and, and you're supposed to be neutral about that. But it's, the point is to say, I, I don't deserve to be bombarded and I'm going to step away from this. You saw this in the book and step yes. away and come back. I'm going to step away right now, but I will come back as soon as you feel better. And you say that to your child ahead of time. So, cause if you step, if you walk away or whatever, they'll feel like you're rejecting them. So you explain ahead of time that we can do better here. And I love you too much to be reacting to what you're doing in anger So what I'd like to do is when you get upset like that, it's too distracting for me to listen to what you need to tell me. So I'm going to step away. And when you feel better, you come back and then you and me will solve this problem together. I got your back. But when you're yelling, I can't really hear you because I'm, I'm too, I get wrapped up in the emotion. And that's great. That's really good. Cause sometimes um, teenagers can be quite, volatile and they feel things so strongly so for you to be able to have that awareness to step back and to step out but to give that information before you do step out is great because you're telling them that you're not abandoning them that you love them and be back yeah so let me tell them ahead of time what you're going to do you can say you remember i told you this is what i'm going to do i'm going to do this i love you no matter what even when you're yelling at me but I'm going to step into the other room for a couple of minutes so I can regroup. And when you feel better, come get me. Brilliant. It's great. I, I think those retreats sound great. Are they, do you hold residential retreats or do you do retreats online or how do you? I, I have not done a retreat online. I've done um, webinars online. So I think I can handle the retreat. So my, probably my first retreat will be online, but um, I'm still waiting for things to clear up for people. And then I'll be doing the in-person retreats. So, 
those will be um, like for a weekend. Okay, great. great. The online ones will probably be for a day in the beginning so I can see how that works. I love your work. Oh, thank you. I do too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the depth you go to with these exercises, they go quite deep. And, and when you talk about your students, like at one point when you were talking, I felt quite, quite touched, quite emotional. It's, it's, it's beautiful. You've got this beautiful way with how you work, practical and yet deep together. It's, it's amazing. I love teenagers. You do. I, I love them. I love yeah. them. You're unique in that. oh but but they're so wonderful you know like like one day they're all sassy and sure of themselves and the next day they're like collapsed on the floor because they have a pimple (laughs) (laughs) and and they're vulnerable it's like like an an adult can't can't collapse on the floor because they have a pimple they have to pretend (laughs) that it's cool they 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 hide everything but kids are are there they they show you what's going on and um i mean there's teenagers are starting to hide themselves i mean let's face it they all want to fit in so they're trying to look like everybody else which is such an unfortunate calamity because they are so cool in their uniqueness and and how unusual each one of them is i I just love teenagers i wish they could see themselves the way i see them yeah that would be great. That would be amazing. And for their parents to see them as you see them. <laughs> well, I, they, they, they're not going to pull the stuff with me that they do at home. <laughs> True. So, True. The, well, know that. the kids know that. Everybody knows that. So where would we find you online? So your books are on Amazon. Yes. So Deborah and, and Davis. Yeah. And they're, they're everywhere. I mean, they're on Amazon. They're at Barnes and Noble, you know, and um, if your particular store doesn't have it, they can order it. So, yeah, Yeah. you can get them anywhere you buy books, the independent books, bookstores, the um, what do you call it? Indie bound, which is for independent publishers. So the uh, you can get them anywhere Um, on my website, which should be up and running. Have my fingers crossed. It's Deborah and Davis dot com. And you can um, read excerpts from the books there and you can see my, see my blog posts because there, some of them are tongue in cheek, but most of them are about parenting. So um, there's, there's a lot of things. Oh, oh. And then I have um, two Facebook groups on okay. that one's called the mom meetup and the other one's called um, life advice 101. Okay. Great. So you, you're very busy. I am. That's great. It's a great way to well, be. People say to me, so you retired. I don't know how to answer that. You know, so I retired from the school system, but then I, I jumped into the second career here. When I left teaching, my kids were saying, my students were saying, but you're so young. What are you going to, why, why are you retiring now? I was 57. So I wasn't that young, but, um, I said, look, at, at 57, I could have three more careers before I'm dying, before I'm done, you know, so. Absolutely, absolutely, and why not? Exactly. You have a great career as an author and very proficient in in, in a couple of years, all those books, is amazing. And um, I can't wait to read How to Get Your Happy On. 
Uh, Deborah Ann Davis, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and for coming on for the interview and wish you every luck in your next course and your next book. And uh, maybe we'll have you back on here again. Thank you so much. I loved it. Oh, great. Thank you so much. This is Carol Fitzpatrick signing off on Lady Time now. If you like what you have listened to, please uh, tell your friends and please like us on Facebook 